0: The left is just simply in denial. There's no other way to put it. They are in denial. All around you, we see failure on the part of the left, we see insanity on the part of the left, and we see a willing and complicit media attempting to justify it, rationalize it, and hold it out as the new norm. Hi, everyone. I'm Jamie Dury, and welcome to another episode of the Jamie Dury Show podcast. If you have not already done so, Please subscribe to the show, and you can do so in one of three easy ways. You can either download the free Podbean app, which is our hosting service, from either the Google Play Store or the iTunes App Store, depending on which device you use, or you can simply use your native podcast aggregator app in either of those two devices iTunes has one, and Google has one. So, either one you use, you'll be good to go. Whichever way you decide to subscribe, you'll be able to leave reviews, comments, uh, <clears throat> and we need plenty of both of a positive nature. And of course, as always, if ever there's a particular topic you would like me to cover or address, simply email me directly at jamiedury1776 at gmail.com. So yes, the left is in denial. We, we see uh all around us things that are indicating uh if the election is not uh stolen or bogus a incredible red wave that's coming in november now not that they're trying to not monkey with the election no pun intended in fact they're using monkeypox as the latest new best thing uh to replace covid because they've stopped being able to drum fear into the hearts of most people with COVID. So they're trying to do this uh, monkeypox thing. But we see all sorts of warning signs. Lee Zeldin, the presumptive Republican nominee for governor of the state of New York in November, was attacked by a would-be assassin the other day in a small town New York. That man was apprehended, arrested, and promptly released the next day uh, thanks to the new bail reform law. Of New York for for bail reform read no bail just let people go similarly a 16 year old punk captured on video in a New York subway duked it out with a New York City cop and his partner uh, putting the cop in a chokehold as a switch and um, and bashing him into a steel grate. This Donnie Brooke went on for an extended period of time until this 16-year-old was finally brought under control, and this idiot DA in Manhattan releases him on his own recognizance the next day. Lee Zeldin, I think, is a beneficiary of this would-be assassination attempt, uh, coupled with this video of the um, thug assaulting this police officer, because now he has already vowed that if he is elected, he will not only go to work on changing this bail reform law, but he will immediately remove the Manhattan district attorney, who is a complete rogue DA. Alvin Bragg, the Manhattan DA, is simply out of his mind. You know, they used to use this term rogue cop years ago. Well, now we have rogue DAs, many of them backed by George Soros inhabiting these local DA's office, This is all part of, I'm jumping around a little bit, this is all part of the complete instability uh, in the Democratic Party and in their philosophy and how to govern. You have crime rampant. You have people doing what they wish, criminals doing what they wish, without fear of reprisal, without fear of punishment, and they want more of this. People are clamoring for change, and they don't want to bring it about. Now, when you allow people who are charged with maintaining public order and protecting the public, and you allow these people to be assaulted in the discharge of their duties and have no repercussions whatsoever, no vote of confidence with this man being put behind bars and kept there until his trial, you have removed the ability of the people who are empowered to protect us from even protecting themselves. And I'm convinced that all of this anti-police sentiment is what led to that assault because those cops were trying to subdue this man by sheer brute force and wrestling with him. Instead, what they should have done was probably just hit him like in the old days, knock him loopy or knock him out, cuff him and the fight would have gone on for a lot shorter time and there probably would have been fewer injuries to both parties overall. But these cops were literally handcuffed by the growing scrutiny that the media is putting on them. Now, why is all this happening? Why is this all possible? Well, a recent poll sort of explains it. And I think I mentioned this in a past broadcast recently. But for those of you who didn't hear it or have forgotten it, I'll mention it again. The nexus, the connection between the Democratic Party and the media, mainstream media, is absolutely undeniable and inescapable. In a recent poll, the only demographic group that said they agreed with the media and that the media spoke for them were college-educated Democrats. Not high school-educated Democrats, but college-educated Democrats. Not high school-educated Republicans. Not college-educated Republicans. Not high school-educated independents not college-educated independents. The only people that said the media spoke for them were college-educated Democrats. Not surprisingly, the media is composed primarily of college-educated Democrats. So what you have here is an echo chamber. The Democrats are, in many cases, oblivious to the damage, the self-inflicted damage that they have done, Because their egos are being massaged and they're being convinced by the media that they've done nothing wrong and they're not out of step with the mainstream. There's an echo chamber. They're speaking to each other. They're not speaking to the people. They are ignoring the people. And this extends into all facets of the Democratic Party. So um, today's show is talking about or focusing on how the Democrats at all levels and in all places Are simply out of touch with the mainstream population of this country. Now, let's look at the Supreme Court. Now, the Supreme Court has come under scrutiny lately because of some very, very big decisions they had. The gun decision in New York, the overturning of Roe v. Wade, uh, a host of others. I spoke about these in a previous show. But now we have Justice Kagan, who's in the minority now, and doesn't like it, I guess, because she's going to be writing minority opinions for the foreseeable future. 6-3, they're outnumbered. Elena Kagan, who was appointed by Justice Obama, let me read, I'll take some pull quotes from this article, uh, is warning against the Supreme Court not taking heed of the public after it struck down Roe v. Wade. Now, what does that mean, not taking heed? So the Supreme Court now should yield to public opinion, the public decides they don't like it. And not all the public, by the way, thinks they don't like it. First of all, there's, there's two things here. No, the court should not yield to public opinion. And two, public opinion is not accurately reflected by the coverage that the media is giving. They want you to believe that everyone disagrees with Roe v. Wade. That's not true. A lot of people are... Uh, Very much in support of the right or the rights of the unborn who seem to be ignored by the left in their rationale. It's all about a woman's body. It never acknowledges the life that's existing within that woman's body. It's all about them. It's very, very self serving. So she spoke on July 21st for the first time since that court overturned Roe v. Wade and stressed the importance of the justices staying in their proper roles as judges and not dictating public policy. Quote, I'm not talking about any particular decision or even any particular series of decisions, but if over time the court loses all connection with the public and with public sentiment, that's a dangerous thing for democracy. Overall, the way the court retains its legitimacy and fosters public confidence is by acting like a court, by doing the kinds of things that do not seem to people political or partisan. Well, I'm sorry, Justice Kagan. Obviously, you were absent that day in law school or maybe in college, probably in civics. Politicians in this country are always trying to push the envelope. They're always trying to do things that should not be allowed to be done by the government. And the third branch of government, the judicial branch, is the bulwark that reigns them in. They're the ones that decide whether something is constitutional and permissible under the law or not. And by its very nature, rendering a decision on that score is always going to seem to people to be political or partisan. You just are raising uh, eyebrows about this because you don't like the particular decision they made. I'm sure you didn't think it was the court acting politically when they first handed down Roe v. Wade, which was decided on the most terrible and flimsy, flimsiest of legal bases, as we've discussed many times in the past on this show. But because it's not going the way you want, you think you're going to intimidate the court by saying this. Well, good luck with that. I don't think anyone's listening to you. You're probably one of the most one of the more unqualified people to be on the Supreme Court. So you were never even a judge. Anywhere, to my knowledge, you were a law professor. That doesn't make you a good um, Supreme Court justice. I don't particularly care for Justice Sotomayor, but at least she was a circuit court judge before she was on the Supreme Court. So that gives her a leg up over you. But this is a perfect example. Kagan operating in a vacuum, thinking everyone believes as she does, threatening the court, trying to cast anything the court does that she doesn't like as going outside the boundaries of something that the court should do. And as long as the court stays within the realm of things that she approves of, then the court is acting as a court should. That's self-serving. And you have this all the time. And they must know at some level, these Democrats, or at least some of them, that they're in for it in November. Otherwise, you wouldn't see this big push about monkeypox. Now, this is a little interesting article I came across. The World Health Organization's recent declaration of monkeypox as a public health emergency of international concern was made by one man, the director of that organization, General Tedros. This is a person who has no medical training, and it was made over the objection of the majority of his own experts on the committee that they have of medical and scientific advisors. This committee met approximately one month ago. And they declined to declare monkeypox a public health emergency by a vote of 11 to 3. 11 voting against declaring an emergency, 3 voting for. In July, 9 of the committee members thought that a public health um, emergency should not be declared. And now 6 supported such a declaration. Nine and six is very, very close. Not, that's what he says. Not as far as I can see. Since the role of the committee is to advise, I then had to act as a tiebreaker. Now, can someone tell me by what mathematical process you arrive at the conclusion that nine and six is a tie that needs breaking? It seems to be a decision by clear and convincing evidence. You see, five and five is a tie. Four and four is a tie. Uh, but nine to six is not a tie. Even if you added your vote, uh, director, it would be nine seven. So I don't know how this is. Um, it just doesn't. It just boggles the mind. There's another quote here from um, Rosamond Lewis, the World Health Organizational technical lead from monkeypox. This was as of July 20th. About 98% of monkeypox cases are among men who have sex with men and primarily those who have multiple recent anonymous or new partners. She then said they are typically of young age and chiefly in urban areas. So this is primarily, according to the World Health Organization, a disease which disproportionately affects homosexual men, by virtue of their sexual habits, much in the same way that the AIDS virus disproportionately affected homosexual men. Who were the big people who were affected by AIDS? And the passage of time has not substantially changed this. Homosexual men, the female sex partners of bisexual men, and intravenous drug users. That has never changed. Yeah, there's a handful of people who, before the blood supply was more closely watched, were inadvertently um, infected by contaminated blood, but those are few and far between and were certainly the exception. So, again, the article goes on to say, this raises the obvious question for thinking people. Why is a disease that occurs 98% in men having sex with men... Now being applied to a worldwide, worldwide population of people, men, women, children of all ages who do not fit this risk profile. So what I would say to you is, if you're a man and you're homosexual and you want to have relations with multiple people and live a devil may care lifestyle, then go out and get a vaccine, which is now experimental for monkeypox, get whatever side effects come from the vaccine, or maybe change your promiscuity level and try and keep it in keeping with something a little more um, common sense based. And then maybe we won't have this problem. But for now, to force the rest of us who are not at risk because we don't engage in these behaviors to take a vaccine and have to live under maybe lockdowns or God knows what else because you want to declare monkeypox a virus based on the word of this one man, this is this is horseshit. This is going to be used as another excuse To try and control elections, and what is the monkeypox virus? It's been known in Africa primarily as a disease of ground squirrels since 1958. So how it got the name monkeypox is quite beyond me. Um, It's a zoonotic virus, which means simply means that it lives in an animal host, but it can spread to monkeys and humans with close contact and poor hygiene. Though it takes much higher viral load to cause the disease in monkeys and humans. This is what the article is saying. It's one of several different pox virus infections, though it is much milder than smallpox, which was essentially eradicated with the successful longstanding worldwide vaccination. It is a DNA virus more stable than RNA viruses like COVID, Marburg, Ebola, Lassa, and others, and this group. How do you catch it? Well, obviously, we've already decided. The virus is in the bloodstream. which means that there is a live virus in bodily secretions. Saliva, semen, blood, open skin lesions, pox scabs, vaginal secretions, feces, soil linens, or clothing from an infected person. Now, this is interesting because I remember from research that I looked into that was being done way back when about AIDS, even though the HIV virus lived in saliva, there were other things in saliva that made it very, very difficult for the transmission of that virus just because of saliva. It was almost all of it from receptive anal intercourse. And this, I was told by a physician who specialized in this stuff, he said, because he says the amount of unprotected oral sex that is engaged in by homosexual men is so indiscriminate and so high that if it was readily transmittable through that um, means, virtually every homosexual man would have AIDS. There'd be no avoiding it. So it was a very lethal disease, but it was not as infectious as people think. It wasn't as easy to catch it people think. Maybe this monkeypox is more so. But it's not affecting the population at large. The population at large is not at risk and never will be at risk for it. So why all the panic if there's not some political overtone? So that's something uh, that I find uh, disconcerting. I really do, to try and put fear into people over this nonsense. But let's get back to that case of the cop being assaulted by that man these rogue da's they're another part and parcel of uh, i would call them the third leg of the triad trying to make us feel that this non-enforcement of the law is what should be the case and that enforcing the law against people simply by virtue of their ethnicity uh, which it's not done. It's being done based on what your actions are, the crimes you've committed. Now, if a disproportionate amount of crime is committed by particular ethnic groups, uh, that's not uh, the fault of law enforcement. They can only arrest those who come to their attention because they've committed crime. They can't simply go out to some people who have not committed crimes, listen, your ethnic group is not committing enough crimes, so we're going to have to pinch you anyway, regardless of whether you've done anything or not. It's insane. And I've said it before, DAs who are elected rather than appointed do have prosecutorial discretion. But that means the ability to prosecute or not prosecute a particular case on a case-by-case basis. It does not mean that they have the right to wholesale declare they are not going to prosecute entire categories of crimes or particular crimes, regardless of how many times they're committed and who commits them. We're just not going to prosecute this, this crime that is not prosecutorial discretion. That is an elected DA substituting his judgment for that of the people as expressed through their duly elected representatives in the state legislature who have passed these laws. Now, the state legislature, after debate, passed laws against resisting arrest in New York state. They've passed a no-sock law Meaning that even if you know the officer is wrong in arresting you, either you know he's wrong because the officer is is arresting you for a crime you did not commit and he should reasonably know that you did not commit it, or you know that he's arresting you for a crime that doesn't even exist, even if you know all these things, you cannot resist the officer in the street. You can make your case before the desk officer when you get there, you can make your case in court. You can hire a lawyer, you'll be, I'm sure, compensated for false arrests, but as a matter of public policy and public order, you cannot resist. Now, this man is not innocent, he jumped a turnstile, so he's got no basis to resist. But the legislature's already spoken on this after extensive debate. There's a reason why they had these laws. And they've never been held to be unconstitutional or illegal. So for this, these DAs to simply arbitrarily decide they're not going to enforce them, is a betrayal of their oath of office, and it's a betrayal of their duty to the people. So these things have to be corrected. So I urge everyone in New York State to go out and vote for Lee Zeldin and hope that he will displace this Alan Bragg, and hopefully that will be a wake-up call for some of these other rogue DAs throughout the country because we're living in an alternative universe. So what I'm trying to get at by just jumping around here today and showing you these examples is that I don't want any of you to lose heart about the future. I don't want any of you to lose heart about future elections, because everything you're hearing, you're hearing filtered through a extremely biased media that is complicit in helping the Democrats achieve their nefarious ends, which is the complete end of democracy in this country and turning America into a socialist and then a communist state. So do not believe anything you hear from the mainstream media. Do not believe that Trump's star is fading. Do not believe that um, uh, people don't want him to run again. If you're hearing that, you're hearing things that are echoed by the left uh, or people who say they're on the right, but are really in bed with the left. Don't buy into it. Almost every Trump-endorsed candidate wins. What does that tell you? That the man doesn't hold sway with the conservatives and Republicans in this country? He certainly does. In just a little over a year and a half, a thriving economy where gas prices were below $2 a gallon has tanked. We saw gas hit $6 a gallon briefly and now it's hovering around 450 or so. It's crippling people. People can't afford to pay that. And then the White House, again, alternative universe, alternative reality, saying that they we've had the most precipitous drop in gas prices ever in the history of this country. Well, that's true if you don't mind taking credit for the most precipitous rise in gas prices first. And that precipitous rise going from $2 to far exceeds the precipitous fall. I wouldn't be laying claim to that if I were them. That's rather like the Carter administration saying that the military buildup that Reagan has started really began under them. Well, yeah, it's true. Maybe in the last year of his administration, he started building up the military after having cut it to the bone in his previous three years, leaving us defenseless. It's part of the reasons probably why that mission in the desert to rescue the hostages failed because the equipment wasn't maintained properly, because the budget that the United States military had wasn't what it should have been. So, for all of you out there who still hold conservatism to heart and believe in America and believe in the American way, what I want you to take away from today's show is that don't stop believing what you believe simply because the mainstream media is trying to tell you you're wrong or you shouldn't believe it because they're not speaking to you and they don't speak for you. They're speaking to each other. College educated Democrats. These are the same idiots that you see still wearing masks, even though we all know they do nothing for you. And you can't tell them that because they, oh, it absolutely does something for you. These are the same idiots you see driving alone in a car with the windows rolled up and wearing a mask, protecting themselves from who and protecting from them, who else? These are unstable people. These are people who have lost touch with reality. These are people who live in an alternative universe and we don't have to live in it with them. For the Jamie Dury Show podcast, I'm Jamie Dury.